Hello and welcome to Screen Facts with Jason Davis, another episode with a new guest in the studio with me. I'm really psyched to have him here with me, an old friend of mine, Gabe Firamasco. Hello, sir. Hello. How are you? <laughs> this is so weird. I haven't been in front of a mic in a long time. I know. It's been a while for you, right? Yes. Uh, mute that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm that guy. I'm already that guy. God, you should sorry. know better. You worked yeah, in radio at one I point. Well, I didn't have a cell phone when I worked at radio. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> that was a while ago. <laughs> yeah. We go back. I met you for the first time when you were uh, attending Seton Hall University. Yep. And Way you were too long ago to admit. <laughs> I know we're we're all getting old, right? Yeah, too old. So um, you were a DJ on the radio station. Talk about that a little bit. Um, I was the most famous I've ever been in my life was when I was 21 years old, and it's <laughs> all been downhill ever since then. You know, so that's about it. Um, it was just a lot of fun at the time. I don't remember much of it because I was drunk. <laughs> But, you know, it was awesome. It was the best time ever. WSOU, Seton Hall Pirate Radio, which back then was legendary. It was the only station in the tri-state area playing hard rock and heavy metal music. And back then, that was where it was at. And you guys were involved a lot in local clubs and stuff. We were known. You were kind of a rock star, Gabe. I was relatively... <laughs> I was a local something or other. <laughs> I don't know exactly what the word, but I was, I was relatively well-known locally. That was about it. Talk about I was famous in New Jersey and Staten Island. <laughs> <laughs> I was huge on Staten Island, man. After you graduated from Seton Hall, talk about where you went from there. I worked in the music business for years. I worked for IRS Records in uh, Chicago and Atlanta, and then I was working for Electra Records in Miami and in uh, Dallas. And then uh, the music industry went down and I got let go, and there's just I'm not in the music industry anymore. Now I'm working... Uh, I do independent marketing and promotion online, but I also work for uh, a company that does pop culture comic book events around the country. Uh, we just finished up our Long Beach Comic Con, and uh, we're two months away from the New Jersey Comic Expo in Edison, New Jersey. And then we'll have the Long Beach Comic Expo in uh, Long Beach in February of next year. Excellent. We'll talk about where people can find information about that a little bit later on in the okay. podcast. Cool. But So uh, we are here to talk about uh, another movie from the 80s, because... <laughs> That seems to be all the best movies. Yes. And Especially this, when you're our age, right? This is the original 80s comedy, though, man. This is the started that, the whole 80s comedies. Yeah. I guess I should say what we're going to talk about. The Blues Brothers is the yes. movie. We're getting the band back together. That's right. We're on a mission from God this week. <laughs> I hadn't seen it in a while. I forgot how fun it is. It's an awesome movie. I. It's one of those, for me, it's one of those movies that if it's on, I watch it. Yeah. No matter what point, if I'm flipping around and I come across the Blues Brothers, I don't care if it's five minutes in, half hour in, or for the last 10 minutes, I watch whatever's left. You know, the great thing about it is that in addition to it being a funny movie, I mean, the music is phenomenal. Oh uh, yeah, the music and the, and the, 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 the musical scenes are just, yeah. the, the talent involved is just crazy. And also, this movie has two of the greatest car chases ever recorded on film, I think. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, <laughs> come on. I mean, you know, they've got every, this mall has everything. I mean, come on. You, how can you beat a car chase in a mall? Exactly. I mean, that's just brilliant. Just absolutely brilliant. And then the final car chase is just, you Insane. know. And the funny thing about it is like those, those, that movie cost so many people jobs. Is like, I remember the stories that the, the mayor at the time of Chicago lost in a landslide the next, because they just, <laughs> completely tore up downtown Chicago yeah. and people were stuck in traffic and happy <laughs> about it. So when it came time for re-election, that mayor was just gone. The mall stuff is great. And the funny thing about the mall scene too, when they're driving through the mall, is that there's different, some of the stores in the mall, there was a car dealership a, in the yeah. mall. 
<laughs> the New Oldsmobiles are in early this year. Yeah, yeah exactly. Was, Has, have you, you know ever what? seen a car dealership? I don't in a know. Mall you know what? Didn't Willowbrook Mall have a car dealership in it at one point? I don't Probably. remember. Uh, you know, but I remember everybody had the Pier One Imports. Yep. Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah, that's the best scene. That's just craziness all the way through. You know? I have a theory that any movie that has a mall in it in any way, shape, or form is a good movie. I'm not sure why, but think about this. Blues Brothers, Dawn of the Dead, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, yeah. Back to the Future, mall, all great movies. Mall Rats. Mall Rats. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's, I don't know, there's just something about... Funny stuff happening in a mall. Well, because we've all been to malls. We can all <laughs> exactly. relate, we to, can all relate. to a mall, you know? Absolutely. So the Blues Brothers released June 20th, 1980, directed by John Landis. And this was something I didn't know. He actually co-wrote the movie with Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, I, didn't know, I did not know that either. I didn't, fact, the interesting thing to know, I noticed, is the day after my 14th birthday. Oh, wow. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? It's, yeah, it's gone way too fast. It, it, it has. I remember the first time I saw this movie, my father was... A big techno guy. He loved buying like the early tech. He was the first guy I knew to have a VCR and okay. a Betamax and all that. And at the time, they had this laser disc machine. Oh, nice! And the the discs were basically they were CDs, but they were album size. Right. And it, the movie was on like two of them for all you kids out there. <laughs> yeah, for all you kids out there. And he bought this thing, and we watched it on this giant disc at his house. And I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. Yeah, I mean, and that and laser discs were the DVD of the time. I mean, it was a better picture, better sound yeah. quality. And yeah, but like you said- It didn't last, but yeah. yeah. well, because it was, it was too big, big and bulky. And yeah. yeah, exactly. There's just a ton of big names in this movie. Some of them in cameos. Of course, John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd. Iconic, just, ridiculous. Yeah, and Aykroyd just does such the great Midwestern Chicago accent through oh, yeah. the whole movie. Yeah. And it's just, it's. I lived in Chicago and it's just, it's so well done. <laughs> I mean, he's from there, so it makes sense. But well, he's, you, he's Canadian- yeah. originally right yeah and then, but he came but he, up through second city in right chicago, so he, he probably so spent a lot, of time. a lot of time in chicago yeah so he's got that accent down yeah it's just it's so great i don't know <laughs> belushi's just belushi just, yeah belushi's just playing the part of belushi and he can because yeah. he was belushi i mean yeah. he was just amazing they were absolutely but just the physicality too of the role belushi actually does that fall down the stairs in the desk yeah and they said that he actually hurt his back really bad. It was like early on in the shooting and he had to wear a back brace for the rest of the filming. I mean, he used to do all those somersaults and, and uh, or the cartwheels yeah, and stuff. Yeah, for, for a stocky guy. Yeah, I mean, you know, he was like... He moved well. I absolutely. Mean, yeah. I, I, I always read that he was an athlete in high school and whatnot. Yeah. So yeah, he... Very, the physical comedy is just, but everything Belushi did was brilliant. Oh, he was everything. amazing. Yeah, but even um, Aykroyd, when he's doing, like, when he dances and stuff, mm -hmm. he does that kind of running thing. Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. So they were probably doing a lot of cocaine, though. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> in fact, um, according to Dan Aykroyd, cocaine was included in the film's budget to help the cast and crew stay awake during the night shoots. Aykroyd said that John Belushi enjoyed it the most. There's a surprise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because he felt that it made him perform better. But yeah, I mean, Cab Calloway, Ray Charles, James Brown, Aretha Franklin, Carrie Fisher has a small role, and um, we're, brilliant role. Oh, it's great, just it's great. The the running gag of the of her trying to to kill John Belushi, and then yeah. for the whole movie, you don't really know why until the end, and it's like, yeah, just she just show up in random spots and try yeah. and kill him, yeah. and not and not do it, and it was like, yeah, it was a great running gag. The ways that she tries to kill him are yes. brilliant, yes. like you know the the rocket launcher, flamethrowers, <laughs> flamethrower. Yeah, it's not just a gun; it's yeah. got to be yeah. like a, completely the M sixteen. Where yeah. she got an M sixteen from? You yeah, know, exactly. it's unbelievable. <laughs> she blows up the building. Yeah, the whole blows up the whole building. 
building with them in it and nothing happens. They just get up and walk away. A young Paul Rubens. Yes. <laughs> Pee Wee Herman playing the waiter uh, at uh, Mr. Fabulous's swank restaurant. <laughs> and I didn't notice this. Joe Walsh from the Eagles is in the film too. Yeah. I, you know, I didn't know that until I read it too, but yeah. it's, like, it's not like they show him real good. I probably should watch the movie one, with my notes so I can mm. like look for all this stuff. I totally forgot to look for Joe Walsh. He's um in the end scene when they're in the jail and they're doing Jailhouse Rock. Yeah, he's the first guy that jumps up on the table. Yeah, like, that's, I totally missed that. Uh, I, I just remember because I remember he's got long blonde hair in the, at that point. So yeah. it makes sense that I, okay, yeah. That's Joe Walsh, but I'm, just, I'm the same way. I've never stopped and looked yeah. to make sure. I'm just taking their, their yeah. word for it. Frank Oz, better known as the voice of Miss Piggy, Grover, and Yoda. He has a little cameo in this, too. He's done some directing, too. I know he directed Little Shop of Horrors with Steve Martin and Rick Moranis, but he has the bit part as the corrections officer who returns all the stuff to, to Jake as he's getting paroled. And I love that scene. Okay, can I just say that for the, for the longest time, <laughs> I did not get the joke... <laughs> One prophylactic unused, one <laughs> um, prophylactic soiled. soiled. <laughs> okay, so when I was a kid... Of course you're not going to get that as a kid. I didn't know what the hell they were talking about. And right. as I get older, I'm like, oh, good God, that's <laughs> awesome. Because he holds it up and it look it looks like a dead snake skin. And right. I'm like, what the hell is that? And for the he, holds, time, he holds it up with like the little tongue with the, or whatever. The, yeah, it's like, and he just looks completely disgusted. When, and I'm like, and I had no idea what was going on until I got older. And like, oh, oh yeah. that's just sick. Yeah, that's the thing with movies like this, you know, that you maybe happen to see when you're a kid. <laughs> you don't get a lot of this stuff. And then here's later the, on. Here's the thing that I noticed in your notes that blew my mind. And it's like so simple mm -hmm. that I never realized this before until I read your freaking notes <laughs> that they're not really brothers. Which I never knew that either. Which totally makes sense because they grew up in, in an orphanage. Right. So why would they be brothers? But I always, well, they're both named Blues. They have to be brothers. Right. Idiot. So <laughs> I had no idea there was the whole backstory of how that, which, which actually... <laughs> Makes the whole movie kind of a tearjerker. Yeah, it's in kinda... these two little kids yeah. that found music and each other right. in an orphanage and grew up so tight that they became brothers. Talk about the specifics of that story, the backstory. Jake and Elwood aren't related. This, according to the book Blues Brothers Private, written by Dan Aykroyd and Judith Belushi Pisano, widow of John Belushi. Jake was born Jacob Papa George. That's awesome name. <laughs> to Artesia Papa George, just like in uh, Mr. Papa Giorgio. Welcome back, Mr. <laughs> Papa Giorgio, from Vegas Vacation. A woman in prison for murdering her husband. She died in childbirth. That's a happy story, man. <laughs> Elwood was abandoned at a newsstand when he was a baby. When he was brought to the orphanage, the nun known as the Penguin named him after the police officer who found him, Elwood Delaney. As Jake and Elwood became good friends growing up in the orphanage, they took the name Blues and became blood brothers after cutting themselves with a guitar string. I mean, that's such an awesome backstory. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I never, I never no knew idea. that. I mean, I, you I know. They're actually brothers. Yeah. They're blood brothers. That's never mentioned in the movie, but. No, it's, um, it's just, it's just the backstory of what was going on that you never knew what was, what was there. It was yeah. pretty interesting to find that out. Yeah. So this movie cost um, somewhere between 27 and $30 million to make. Grossed just over $57 million in the U.S. and just over $115 million worldwide. It's funny because I was talking to Sue and I was trying to figure out how many movies have been made from Saturday Night Live, oh. either characters yeah. or sketches. And then after I kind of determined that, how many of them were good? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Most people would probably agree that really there's only two good Saturday Night Live based movies. This... And Wayne's World. The first Wayne's World. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of... 
There was Night at the Roxbury. There was a uh, superstar uh, with Molly Shannon. But this was like that. This was like that first movie that set the tone where everybody right. who had a character on Saturday Night Live got a movie right. because of this. <laughs> yeah. If your if your character became popular on Saturday Night Live, you got a movie because these guys in this movie with Coneheads. <laughs> the Coneheads got a movie. Yeah. So you saw this when you were pretty young, then. Uh, yeah, I was probably, I mean, I don't know how long it took to come out on disc, but I mean, I was probably 14, 15 years old when I saw it. So that's why a lot of it I didn't understand. <laughs> I remember reading actually like a novelization. Really? There was a this. book? There was a book, there was yeah. Book? Yeah, I remember. And, and they even had some of the lines from the movie, like the, the famous line of, we got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, we're a hundred and whatever miles from Chicago. It's dark and, and we're, we're wearing, wearing sunglasses. sunglasses. And that was the thing that John, I saw a documentary about the movie and John Landis to point out is like never before has a movie been made where the two leads wore sunglasses the entire time. That's actually amazing. The only one to take off was Belushi, mm-hmm. took him off for a second during during the scene with Carrie Fisher in the in the in the tunnel where she's trying to kill him with the M16. And I think the fact that he wears them the entire film except for that makes that scene so much better. Yeah. Because when he takes the glasses off and he's got the, the muck all over his face from being, you know, face down in the mud and the way it's lit, it's really cool. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just so funny. And the best part of that is where he's trying to schmooze her and he's trying to sweet talk her and, and Acro is just laying there in the mud and he's got his hands on his chin and he's just looking up and just kind of watching the whole thing go on. Acro's reaction, like he's watching in a movie too. It's crazy. It's really funny. And she falls for it. Yeah, and she totally just, fell for just it. Just the way he, you know, he kisses and he just drops her in the mud. And just, let's go. And they just, off they go. <laughs> <laughs> and Ackroyd stops and apologizes because you don't know what to do. And that, and that uh, leads to the second car chase. 103 cars were wrecked during filming. That was a world record at the time. Two years later, 150 cars in a plane were crashed for H.B. Uh, Halicki's The Junk Man. Does anybody remember that movie? No, I, I don't. I don't even know what that is. Me either. Then over 300 cars were wrecked during the filming of The Matrix Reloaded. So That's a movie I wish I didn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't see, I only saw the first Matrix. Yeah, then, you, you, then you won. Yeah, that's, you that's what I hear. Yeah. That's why I never saw the no, other two. No, because it just, you, you walk out of the original Matrix going, oh, this is awesome. I, and then you see the next two and like, oh, they ruined it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> the Bluesmobile was actually going 118 miles per hour under the elevated train line. The film crew received permission to clear the street for two 100-plus mile-per-hour passes. Stunt pedestrians were added after the first pass to make it a little bit more realistic. On a city street, even with it being a controlled environment, that's fast. I've driven through there at the speed limit, and it's not easy. It's tight, right? Yeah, it's tight. It's really scary. So I couldn't even imagine going through there 118 miles an hour. You got to be nuts. Yeah, and the Bluesmobile is kind of infamous as, as a vehicle, too. 1974 Dodge Monaco, the vehicles used in the film were used police cars purchased from the California Highway Patrol, and they were mocked up to look like they were from Illinois. A total of 12 Bluesmobiles were used in the movie, including one that was built just so it could fall apart, which is the famous scene when they finally get to the assessor's office. And it just gives up at that point. (laughs) It's it's done. I've done all I can do. (laughs) That's right. That's it. I just came from Long Beach, and we had there was a guy out there who had a Bluesmobile. So all those okay. guys, they're very, you know, if, if it wasn't for the fact that it was, those Dodge Monacos wouldn't be worth anything nowadays, right. except for the fact that guys may buy them so they can recreate Bluesmobiles. That's nice. Know? So there was one at Long Beach last week, out parked out front, people were taking pictures with it and stuff. Yeah, so. that's cool. There's only one original known that, that exists still, and it's owned by Dan Aykroyd's brother-in-law, so. Oh, wow, that's cool. During filming, one of the actors, Stephen Brown got separated from the vehicle caravan and he, and he drove the Bluesmobile 100 miles west on Interstate 80. Uh, he ended up in the city of Spring Valley, Illinois. He stopped at a gas station for directions and was arrested 
because uh, he didn't have registration. The plate was a prop and there was no valid driver's license. So, And they didn't have GPSs in 79, so right. they had to stop and ask for directions. Exactly. Kudos to him. A guy asking for directions, that probably doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Well, notice he went 100 miles the wrong way <laughs> before he finally asked for directions. Yeah. Drove 100 miles. He started out, in, you know, started out in a caravan. All of a sudden, he doesn't see the caravan, but I'll go 100 miles before I ask directions. Yeah. So yeah, he was definitely a guy, without a doubt. <laughs> I guess he figured, I better find the caravan because I'm going to lose my job. Yeah. And the funny thing was that the set director was more concerned with the return of the vehicle than the actor. Yeah. You can replace actors. Yeah. So let's talk about Bob's Country Bunker. <laughs> what kind of music do you have? Oh, we have both kinds, country and western. It's <laughs> one of my favorite lines so, in the movie. So freaking awesome. But the question is, where the hell were the good old boys? What yeah. were they doing? They got there like when the club was closed. Exactly. What did you think was going to happen? I, I thought that was a little weird too, actually. Yeah. I'm like, Wait we a show minute. up. Yeah, we're here to play. We're, 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 we're closed. We're closed, <laughs> man. What time did you guys start driving? So, but I guess, hide. you know, you have to have a certain, you know, they have a, cha a car chase in a mall. So you have to have a certain amount yeah. of, you know, disbelief. <laughs> you uh, you got to just push to the side, you know, but. I love that whole part, you know, the music in that scene and just when they're, they're, they start doing the song and they're getting hit with the bottles. Even when they like the music, they're, yeah, they're still, still throwing, throwing bottles. the bottles, you know, because he walks in the guy, first he walks in a blue Lou Marini, he goes, chicken wire. <laughs> 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 yeah, you know, there's no way chicken wire around the stage turns out good. No, that's, no never, way. that's never a good thing. So, you, yeah, you know you're in a shithole. Yeah, when... <laughs> so even when they like the music, they're still throwing the bottles. It was, yeah. it was awesome. <laughs> so, um... Getting back to the mall chase scene, they actually rented out a mall. It had been closed for a year. And then there was all kinds of rumors that it was being refurbished and it would be reopened. But it turned out that they just kind of paid somebody some money to get access to the mall just to destroy it. Yeah, and, they did. And they did. And you know, the thing is, I didn't realize <laughs> that Landis is one of the guys in the cop car. Oh, wow. The one that gets flipped over and starts spinning around. Oh, wow. How did I miss that? Too? Yeah, Landis is one of the guys in that car. I recognize the, the one African-American cop as the guy that was- From the, 21 Jump Street. The captain from 21, yeah. the 21 Jump uh, Street. I, I, I forget the his TV name. The TV series. Yeah, the, the original, the real yeah. one. And then he played a recurring role in Supernatural too. Okay. So okay. yeah, I love that guy. Yeah, so the community thought that they were going to rebuild the mall and, and get it back to its original condition and all that. The production never agreed to do that, unfortunately. And the mall was left in that condition <laughs> it actually, can you imagine a, a mall that was destroyed by a film crew being that way? It finally was torn down and cleared away in 2012. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't in any hurry. That's um, unbelievable to me. Yeah. People are going to try to go in there. That was probably a big place for stoners to hang out. Man, the Blues Brothers was filmed yeah, here, man. Let's go get high. <laughs> <laughs> There's a great nod to Frank Oz, too, when they're driving through the mall. It's right, right at the beginning of the chase when, when they're in the toy store and the guy is holding up the Grover doll. Yeah. <laughs> and he, you, have, and he asked, you have Miss Piggy, too. Yeah, you have Miss Piggy, exactly. <laughs> I mean, there's so many quotable lines in this movie. Oh my God, it's, it's just, it's just you crazy. go for days. But yeah, when they're driving through that mall and that chase, they're like just casually mentioning all the stores. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember all of them. Just, yeah, but if it is, they're just like having this conversation. Like they're not in the middle, like not in the middle not of a high speed chase, chase yeah. in a mall. Right. You know, and it's like, oh, this store, this mall has everything. It's like, you know, and they're just calling up Pier One Imports. It's like, <laughs> and it's like, he doesn't even say anything. He just says Pier One Imports. He's just naming them as he goes through. Pier One Imports. New Oldsmobiles yeah. are in early this year. That's you the know? greatest. <laughs> 
idiots. John Belushi uh, was definitely a character on and off screen. They nicknamed him the Black Hole on set because he kept losing his sunglasses during the production. And during filming of one of the night scenes, they couldn't find John Belushi. So Dan Aykroyd looked around. He saw one house with the lights on in the neighborhood. He went to the house, and before he could say anything, the homeowner looked at him and said, you're here for John Belushi, aren't you? (laughs) Which is awesome. Turned out Belushi just went into the house, asked if he could have a glass of milk and a sandwich, and then he just crashed on the couch. That's what it's like to be John Belushi. Yeah, you you can get away with that. If John Belushi showed up at my house, I'd give him anything he wanted. Yeah, come on in. Hang out. Yeah, sure. You want to order pizza? Whatever, man. Let's hang out. Yeah. (laughs) Too funny, man. Let's talk about some of the musical performances. It starts off with, you know, with, with James Brown in the church, and then you got, yep. then they go looking for, they put the band back together, and you got Aretha Franklin at the restaurant. Murph and the Magic Tones. Murph and the Magic Tones, <laughs> you know. Uh, I Personally, my favorite is the Ray Charles, Ray, Ray's Music oh, yeah. Exchange. I love that one. That's oh, great. With all the dancers outside and stuff, that's, that's my favorite one. Okay, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. The kid that tries to steal the guitar off the wall, yeah. that, that Ray Charles shoots at, yeah. which is hilarious. Yeah. Ray Charles with a gun, that's frightening. But um, that kid grew up to become the limo driver, Argyle, in Die Hard. Wow, you know what? Now that you say it, I re- totally recognize him. The minute you started saying it, I, re- I realized, wow, that's right. That's funny. So uh, the Soul Food Cafe where Aretha Franklin sings Think was Nate Stelly on Maxwell Street in Chicago. It's now a parking lot, like most things. The thinnest of the backup dancers is actually Aretha's sister. I did not know that. Yeah. Two guys, they look like Hasidic diamond merchants. <laughs> One wants dry white toast. The other one wants full fried, fried chickens. chickens. <laughs> and would. The Blues Brothers. <laughs> the scene where the band is in the sauna with Steve Lawrence mm-hmm. and they're in towels only. Uh, that's actually a nod to the cover photo from the 1973 Blood, Sweat, and Tears album, No Sweat. Lou Marini and Tom Malone, two of the Blues Brothers band members, were in Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Steve Cropper was a member of Booker T and the MGs. Well, the whole band, I mean. Yeah, I mean, they're all they're all legendary. Donald Duck Dunn. I mean, just, you know, uh, Blue Lou Marini. I mean, all those guys were just amazing musicians on their own before they were. I mean, they really put together an all-star lineup of, oh, no of doubt. bands. These guys yeah. were amazing. Steve Cropper was a part of that group from Mississippi that played on everything. I mean, all those R&B hits from the 60s and 70s were for like Sam Cooke and those Mm -hmm. guys. Those are all the same three or four white guys played on all (laughs) that stuff. And Cropper was one of those yeah, guys. Yeah, the Stax label. Yeah, those Stax stuff. He, they, were, they had the house band. He was a member of their house band. Yeah, I mean, Cropper co-wrote Doc of the Bay with Otis Redding, and, and he played with Aretha, too. So. Yeah, he's, so everybody in that band was an amazing musician in their own right. Absolutely. And Paul Schaefer from David Letterman's band was uh, an original member of the Blues Brothers band. He was supposed to be in the movie, but he was working on Guild Alive. And Belushi fired him for being disloyal to the Blues yeah, Brothers. Yeah, I don't understand that story. I've, I've read that story before, and I don't understand. It's like, I, did they have an issue with Gilda? Or with I don't understand what yeah. Belushi's problem would have been that he was working on a project with Gilda that he would have thrown him out of the band. It doesn't make any sense. As far as I know, all the not-ready-for-prime-time players from SNL, the original group, yeah. they were all tight. So I don't know what I don't know why he would do that. So what was the deal with the Nazis <laughs> in this movie too? I, I hate Illinois Nazis. That's the other thing about the movie was they had these recurring. It seemed like everybody was chasing them. Everybody, oh, yeah. you know, you had you know Carrie Fisher was a recurring character. Bob and and the good old boys they kept right. turning up. At some <laughs> point, yeah, the cops are chasing the them. The Nazis are chasing them. Like at, by the end of this movie. Everybody is chasing these guys at the same time, but they're all running gags through the movie, and it's just some really funny stuff. Yeah, really it's, funny it's, stuff. It's very.
very, very well written. When he's sitting there and he's painting the eagle gold. Yes. <laughs> such great, such great scenes, man. He introduces the Nazi group as the American Socialist White People's Party. <laughs> <laughs> the acronym ASWPP, short for Asswipe. Asswipe. That's so great. <laughs> great stuff. This is an interesting thing. For the 30th anniversary of the movie a few years back, the Vatican newspaper called the film a Catholic classic. Because they're on a mission from God, man. <laughs> Recommending it as good viewing for Catholics. Yeah, you know, I mean, it makes sense in a, in a, in a way because, you know, they're, they're, they're out on a mission from God. They're trying to, it's a nun. They're trying to, you know, she beats the crap out of them. Which oh, that's the, I love that scene. Love, they love to hit you with rulers, Dan. They love <laughs> that shit. But, you know, they're saving a Catholic orphanage. orphanage. How can you not be a good Catholic movie, man? <laughs> And apparently they're but the Blues Brothers are both Catholics. Oh man, so funny though that scene with the with the penguin in the beginning where she's hitting them, and then she starts just, just, yeah, just going whack, just boom, back boom, and boom, 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 and yeah. just whacking the crap out of them. And then every time they're you know because they're trying not not to curse, but yeah. they, they can't help it. Shit, like, Jesus, oh, Jesus, Jesus, and every time they get smacked, <laughs> oh god damn it, oh, whack, oh. you know. <laughs> and then he goes down those stairs. That I mean, I'm not surprised he got hurt because that was yeah. I'm amazed, he did the, I'm amazed he did the fall. Yeah, that's but, that's a scary stunt because that, sure I, you see him go down those stairs and yeah. that shit had to hurt. No doubt. Without a doubt, man. But the end of the movie, uh, when they when they go to the tax assessor's office, Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg, I know. <laughs> what other stuff did you want to talk about about this? The prison scenes were, were great. He picks him up in a cop car. I get out of jail and you pick me up in a cop car. You yeah. Know? Where's the original Bluesmobile, the caddy? <laughs> right. Because he, he traded it. He goes, I would trade it for what? A microphone. He goes... Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> you know, I mean, he traded the caddy for a microphone. It's like, all right, yeah, that makes sense. Then Elwood selling him the new Bluesmobile to him. Yeah, it's it's a, you know, cop motor, cop suspension, cop, suspension. cop tires, whatever he says. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> then he jumps over the bridge with it. Yeah. He fixed fix, fix the lighter. Fix the lighter. It's broke. Each scene in, is is so memorable and has so many quotable lines. Yeah. And, it's just, and it's just nonstop from beginning to end. I know a scene. When they go to Mr. Fabulous's restaurant. What's the name of it again? Shea, Shea Paul? Something Shea like Paul, that. yeah. And, and your children. The girls. The girls, your children. Tell me your children. <laughs> when he's throwing the shrimp in his mouth. They, they smell badly. <laughs> <laughs> Are they bothering you? No, but they smell. It's like they smell badly. And then we immediately know that the Blues Brothers smell. Right. So that Well, adds... I mean, look at those suits they're wearing. Yeah. It's a thousand degrees outside, probably, and they're yeah. wearing those black suits. And they never take them off. No. So, yeah, no. I'm sure they do smell yep. badly. Yep. I wonder if um, the scene in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, when they go to uh, to that, that restaurant and eat pancreas, yeah. if that's uh, supposed to be uh, an homage to the Blues Brothers a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised. It's a Chicago movie. We can't do a podcast about the Blues Brothers without at least mentioning... Blues Brothers 2000. Now, I've never seen that. You? No. Okay. No. Come on. I like Jim Belushi. I like Jim Belushi, but he's not yeah. John Belushi. And then, you know, it's like try to replace him with two guys, John Goodman and Jim Belushi. It's yeah. like, no, I just, I never even tried. I just had to mention it. There's probably very few people who are big fans of this movie that either have seen Blues Brothers 2000 yeah. or if they have, have enjoyed Blues Brothers 2000. I can't I, imagine it I, being... No, I, you know, it's like, no, I've, I've never had a conversation about Blues Brothers before where they go, hey, what about the sequel? <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that thing awesome? <laughs> that was great. They had a little kid dressed up like Elwood. It was amazing. <laughs> Who cares, man? Give me a break. No, <laughs> never saw it.
Don't plan on it. <laughs> well, we definitely recommend that you watch the Blues Brothers again if you haven't seen it in a while because it's awesome. When I was growing up, it's mm-hmm. one of the first movies that I look at and go, that's a classic. That's, you know, that's the movie. You have to see that movie. You know, when you think Belushi, of course you think Animal House. Yeah. Which, you know, shame on me for having not done a podcast for that yet. That's, I'll come back for that one. Cool. That's such a great movie too. Yeah, that's definitely going to happen. But this movie, I think, is as much of a showcase for his brilliance as that. Oh yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I think even more than Animal House, just because Animal House- he sings in this too. Well, also he sings, and also because he's really the star of the movie. In Animal House, it was much more of an ensemble cast. That's true. So you didn't get as much Belushi as you do in Blues Blues Brothers. Blues Brothers is just all Belushi from beginning to end. But you know what? Even in the the limited amount that you get Belushi in Animal House, he steals every scene he's in. I mean, amazing. Yeah. Well, if you have any thoughts or screen facts of your own about the Blues Brothers or any comments about the podcast, you can send me an email at screenfacts at yahoo.com. You can also tweet me at Jason Davis Voice or find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Jason Davis Voiceover. Now, Gabe, um, where can people find you on social media? On Twitter and Instagram on at It's Me Gabe. And then New Jersey Comic Expo, you can find them on Facebook at New Jersey Comic Expo on uh, Twitter at Jersey Comic Expo and on Instagram at NJ Comic Expo. Anything else you want to plug? No. Go, everybody go to New Jersey Comic Expo. Come from all over the world to go to New Jersey Comic Expo. Yes, please. Yes. <laughs> please rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes and help spread the word by telling your family and friends about the podcast. Post links on Facebook, Twitter, whatever else you use. And uh, also check out my website, jasondavisvoice.com slash podcast. You can get info about the redesigned Screen Facts t-shirts. That's right. You can buy merchandise and support the show. Nice. And um, also, you can find out some of the other options of where you can download and listen to the podcast. Well, thanks for joining us. And Gabe, thanks so much for taking the ride to do this with me. I know this is not around the corner for you. I really appreciate it. Quite all right. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I look forward to doing the next one with you. Yes. Please come back again next Wednesday for more Screen Facts with Jason Davis. Bye-bye.